morning, church, and welcome, welcome, neighbors. It's good to see you this morning. Glad to be here. Um, perspective is important, and sometimes it's difficult to grasp. Sometimes it's difficult to uh, get a handle on, and. Another person's perspective can be really challenging, particularly when it's another person's perspective on you. And I was uh, taught this lesson uh, really early on. I was a little bit blindsided by it. When I first went to college, I was on a a dormitory at um, Liberty University. It's called Dorm 22-2, so the second floor of Dorm 22 and uh, greatest dorm, as far as I'm concerned, ever to exist. And it really was a great experience. The guys that were there were great. The people who were in leadership on that hall, the people that were supposed to keep us out of trouble, were really good. But I remember going, coming back from the second semester, coming back from Christmas break, suddenly everybody was talking, everybody was whispering, and, and um, there was an anxiety on the hall that was new to what I had experienced the first semester. And it increased more and more as um, the semester went on and towards the end, I began to get a grasp of what had happened. The year before, so the same hall, the year before, there had been a student on the hall whom everybody kind of liked. They had transferred there and then they had transferred away. They had only been there for one year. And they had stayed on this hall. But apparently, that student whom these guys had been friends with, that they had spent time with, they had gone to church together, um, apparently that student had been a mole, (laughs) for lack of a better term. Uh, That sounds really aggressive, more aggressive than it is. But this guy had come to Liberty to figure out what the heck was up with all these Christians. He came from a pagan background, he came from an Ivy League university, and he transferred to Liberty for one year so that he could see what was going on with Christians. He had stayed on this dorm, and now he was writing a book about his time, which was really interesting. And so that's really cool. Like, okay, you've got a guy coming from an outsider's perspective. He's coming in. He's hanging out with us. He's, we're treating him like one of ours, and then he's going to write a book about it. Like, that could be really cool, except what's he going to write about me? That was the anxiety that was on the hall that I felt coming back. They realized, oh, I talked to this person. This person made judgment calls about me. We had conversations, and what, what, what could he possibly write about me? And what I feel like is accurate, right? Like, that's, a, that's another thing. What would it be like if somebody were embedded in your life for a year and then was going to write an objective, objective perspective on how you had interacted with them. Like, maybe we'd walk a little bit differently going into that year if we were aware of that. Um, or maybe we would feel different about the year looking back having not known that. That's perspective. Perspective matters. And the perspective that we often get in Scripture is perspective from the front of the stage. Perspective of what's going on in the front of the stage. Remember I said the story of the Bible actually isn't a complete uh, container of all of world history, but it's within the stage of world history, a spotlight shining down on one family and one, and one um, person and different things that are going on within that spotlight on the world stage. Well, the perspective is often the person who is acting on the stage, but there are other people there. And so we're going to look at a passage today that is familiar to you from the stage point of view. 
you're familiar with what's going on with the main guy. You probably know the name Moses. And you've probably heard of the Ten Commandments. And me giving you that information, your brain is suddenly like, oh, no, yeah, we got rules to follow. I don't really want to talk about this. Let me just pause. Because we're familiar with the story from a stage perspective. But I want to invite us to look at it from somebody who's in the back row. Somebody who is there and present, who's seeing these things, but the way that they're looking at it might be a little bit different because perspective matters. Um, would you open with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19? And just one moment, I'll tell you, in these blue Bibles that we've got on the chairs in front of you, if you'd like to open up and, and follow along with me there, that may be helpful to you. And it is going to be on page 75. Exodus 19. Exodus 19 is on page 75 in these blue Bibles that are either under your chair or in a chair in front of you, if you'd like to follow along. <clears throat> we're going to be in Exodus 19, and as we are getting there, as we're ready to begin, I'd invite you to just pray with me. Would you pray with me uh, the disciples' prayer? If you're not familiar with it, it's there um, on the screen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we're in a series that we have called Tell Me a Story. And we're in a season of our lives and a season of our culture where we retell stories quite frequently, stories that we're familiar with. And even if we know the story, sometimes hearing it again, is just, we just like to, it's comfortable. And, and the picture that I get in my head is one similar to this one, and you can't really see the guy, but there's a guy sitting in a chair, snuggled up by the Christmas tree, reading a story, and there's a image from my childhood of us sitting on the fireplace and dad opening a book and all, all the, uh, the family just being enraptured and what's going on and him telling the story. We all know the words to it, but we just like to hear it and we like to read it. So what would it look like if we were to climb up in God's lap and ask him to tell us a story? What would he tell us and what might we learn about listening to it again? And we've looked at a story about a guy named Noah, and we've learned about some of the, the background to that story, that it wasn't the happiest zoo on earth, that actually there was a lot of death and destruction and judgment in that story, but God's grace persisted as he showed that he would not judge the world again. The, the, um, the thing that caused the flood, the depravity, the sickness, the evil that dwelt in man's hearts wasn't solved by this destruction. So God promised he wasn't going to destroy again in the same way. And then we took a couple generations and talked about Abram last week. And Abram got a new name. And he also got a promise made to him that Abram was going to have a land. He was going to have a bunch of kids. And he was going to be used by God to be a blessing to all the other families in the world. We don't usually think about how can my family impact the rest of the world. But what God wanted to do with Abram, Abraham was use one family 
out of all the families in the earth to be a blessing to everyone. And that was the beginning of Abram's story. And now we're going to jump, actually, another hundred years. This is how you know it's 2020, because we jumped 400 years between last Sunday and this Sunday, right? We're going to jump 400-ish years from Abram and, and what God was doing in his life to now Abram's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandkids and what has happened with them. So they actually, uh, life wasn't great for them. They were slaves in a land called Egypt, and then God delivered them from Egypt. We'll talk more about that later, more the details of that story, but I just want you to know that this is a group of people who last week were working the fields, and this week have escaped their oppressive and abusive boss, and now they're out trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives. They've got a new start. They've got a new uh, direction for their lives, and they're not really sure what what is next in the next chapter. So let's look at Exodus chapter 19. And there's some date stuff here. They didn't have a calendar like we do, so they measured things by moons. So that's, that's what's there. Exodus 19, beginning in verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim, and they came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you out to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set them and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. Let me summarize real quick before I finish reading. So what has happened is these people have come out and the Lord is showing up to Moses. God, Yahweh, is showing up to Moses and saying, look, I want to make something special out of you guys. You guys are just a bunch of runaway slaves, but I want to make you into a special nation. You don't have any kind of government. You don't have any kind of structure. You barely have an organization of elders that actually just happened the chapter before. You have a barely an organization of elders, but I want to make something strong out of you. I want to make something that's going to be a blessing to people. You're going to be a kingdom of priests, and you're going to be holy. You're going to be set apart. You're going to be not like the other nations that exist. You're going to be something special. And so God tells this to Moses. Moses tells this to the people, and the people say, I got nothing better to do. I, I don't have work. Like, just got freed from slavery, like, I'm not really sure where we're going. Like, yeah, that, that sounds like a good plan. That sounds like something we could do. All right, let's make it happen. So Moses takes the words of the people, and he goes back to God and says, Hey, God, uh, people say that's cool. They're, they're good with that. We, they they want to do it. Behold, and, and God says, All right, well, go and tell them to get ready. So that's been the exchange. There's been this middleman. Moses has gone back and forth between God and the people over and over. 
and now there's going to be a change. Let me finish reading there uh, in the middle of verse 9. When, the wor- when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them, set them apart, today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether man or beast, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So, it's kind of weird. Let's, let's talk about what happens. So you've got this little bit of back and forth where God says, Hey, I want to make something special to you guys. They're like, Yeah, well, my, my calendar just got cleared. Like, I don't have to go to work on Monday. So let's make that happen. And so God sends Moses back and says, All right, well, tell them to get ready. Take a bath. Wash yourself. There's, there's something that's going to happen. So there's always been this middleman between uh, God and the people. Moses has always been the one that's bringing the word. And this is where I want to invite you to consider the perspective. Okay? Because the story is told about God having a conversation with Moses. We get to sit in on those rooms as the thing is happening. And we have it recorded. But what about the person in the back row? What about the person whose like, cousin told him that Moses said what God said? And it wasn't real clear who this Moses guy was. Like, I don't know. He seems like he was one of us, but he also had some Egyptian background. I don't really know. He's got a little bit of a temper. Like, you don't want to be on his bad side. Um, And he went and talked to to Pharaoh. I don't really get what was going on, but things went bad for a couple of weeks. Like, it seemed like like all of the earth was going crazy. There were these plagues. There were these frogs. There were these flies. There were these locusts. Like, every time I turned around, something catastrophic was happening. A little bit of 2020 there. And, I didn't, and, and now, Pharaoh kicked us out. Like, he was, like, leaning on my back. He was, like, oppressing me. He was making me work. He was driving me harder and harder and harder. And then he stopped and told me to get out of his house. And so we left. And as we were leaving, we came up to this ocean. And I don't know about you, but I don't really know how to swim. And so now, God, Moses went up to the water, and then the water split, and we just walked through, and the land was dry. Like, I don't know how that works. But I just keep following this guy Moses, and stuff keeps happening where he goes. And, and he keeps telling me that this God somewhere up in the sky keeps talking to him. And I don't know if it's true or not, but then he gave us bread out of the sky, and that seems like a pretty tangible thing. And then he gave us water that we could actually drink, and that seems like I'm okay with having water in the desert. I don't know about you. It's kind of a necessity. And so now we're here at the bottom of this mountain, and he says, y'all need to take a bath because the God that I've been talking to is going to talk to you. All this time, Moses has been an intercessor. All this time has been something that's kind of far away, and I've been following, and it has worked out good for me. Things have happened good for me. The Egyptians, my neighbors, gave me gold and asked me to please leave their neighborhood because they were really tired of all their livestock dying. They kicked me out, and God kept making a way. They kept making a way. Every time I follow Moses, something good happens, so I'm just going to keep doing that. But now Moses is telling me I need to take a bath. I need to be ready. I need to abstain from having sex, not because there's anything wrong with having sex, but because we're setting ourselves apart for something that's special. Don't get so focused on your daily things that you miss the preparation for what's about to happen. Something life-changing is getting ready to happen. So wash yourself. 
Take three days and get ready. Because you've been following this dude, and there's a little bit of hocus-pocus that's happening where he's coming and telling you what God might have said. But now God's saying, I'm going to speak to you directly. You're going to hear. So clean up. And I don't know that we necessarily think about it a ton. But I wonder, do we prepare to be our maker? Like, this God supposedly has been talking to Moses this whole time. Like, he says he's the creator of everything. And so when we plan to go and, and spend time with him, when we plan to go and hear from him, like, do we get ready for that? I know sometimes I can be uh, critical and I can use the joke pretty easily. Like, oh, well, we clean up pretty good on Sundays. Like, I put a collar shirt on. And most days of the week, I don't wear a collar shirt. But there is something to being prepared to interact with God. There is something about being prepared to meet with your maker. There is something about taking a shower <laughs> and being ready. Not because you can actually clean yourself. Not because you can actually present yourself as a presentable offering to a perfect and holy God. But just because you acknowledge, like, he made it all. He's holding the atoms together. He's like, if he just like lets up a little bit, the whole thing explodes. Do we prepare to be our maker? I mean that like as a preparation thing. Like if we're going to come to church, if we're going to spend some time in scripture, do we take a minute and just, okay, like this could be like a time to engage the creator of the universe. All right. Let me walk in with some reverence. Or do we just run in? Because I got things to do. I got things to do. I got things to do. And I also mean that in terms of an eternal perspective. We just finished a series a couple months ago, living with the end in mind. Do we consider the fact that all of us die? And are we ready for that day? Do we prepare to meet our maker? It might require that we force ourselves to go a little bit slower then our culture would encourage us to go. Let's jump a couple verses and look at chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Actually, I'm going to go back to 19 uh, and verse 18. Is that 18? That's 16. <clears throat> Just to get a little bit of the setting, because they prepared themselves, they've stayed away from this mountain. There's something that's going to happen in this mountain, they're going to hear the voice of God. And in Exodus 19, verse 16, On the morning of the third day there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. 
Moses goes up and God says, hey, you just tell the people not to come up the mountain. And he's like, you already said that. Like, they're already not coming up. They're pretty scared right now. Like, the picture that we have of, of, of God is, is a huge storm. Lightning and smoke and thunder and clouds. God's like, hey, just remind them not to come up here. <laughs> and he's like, oh, they got it. Message received, right? Now let's jump to chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth below or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your female servant or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is with you in your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and the earth and see, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. That's the Ten Commandments. You're probably familiar with some of them. Usually when we put them on plaques, we shorten them a little bit. <laughs> There's a lot of words in there, right? <clears throat> um, And how interesting would it be for you to have been a person who followed Moses out of Egypt? For this guy who says he talks about this God who created all the things and Abraham and Ever and all the things, like, sure, Moses, you're hearing from God. But then you're standing at the foot of a mountain and the thing's on fire. And there's smoke, and there's lightning, and there's a storm, and there's thunder. Moses says, hey, Yahweh, and there's thunder to answer. And the voice comes. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. See, from the back of the crowd, all this time, you've been following Moses, and things have kind of gone okay. Something good has happened to you every time you got up and followed Moses. But now this voice comes. It's, it's, it's not about Mo. It's about me. 
I've been using Moses, but I am the one who delivered you. I am the one who parted the sea. I am the one who made the, the, the ground dry. I'm the one who rained bread from heaven. I'm the one who brought you clean water. I am the one. I am the one. I am the one. Hi. Nice to meet you. The story of Scripture starts in a garden where God walks in the cool of the day with with a couple. They know him. There's conversations. There's intimacy. And every time we turn around in Scripture, God's having to reintroduce himself to people who forgot. And so as we consider the Ten Commandments, consider that they start with an introduction. Hey, my name's Yahweh. I'm doing stuff. And then it comes to a list of, of, of rules, right? Well, excuse me, let me pause. <clears throat> he says, hey, I'm doing stuff, and I'm doing stuff that I said that I was going to do. Like, don't, don't overlook that either. Because in his conversation with Abraham, do you remember? He says, Abraham, you're not going to get any of this land. Like, I'm telling you, your kids will get this land, but you're not going to get it. You're just going to be a stranger here. But something's going to happen with your kids. Your kids are going to grow up, and they're going to go away, and they're going to be imprisoned for a couple hundred years. And then I'm going to see their oppression and their suffering, and I'm going to deliver them out of their oppression, and then I'm going to give them this land that they're going to. God said that a couple hundred years ago. God said that, as far as we know, last Sunday, right? And now it's been 400 years, and it's happened. He's done it. He's being faithful to the word that he gave. He's holding up his end as if there were another end, really. And he's going deeper. I'm inclined to see rules when I see the Ten Commandments, aren't you? Thou shalt not. Like, that's what I key in on. Like, great. Like, I went to church and he told me not to do stuff. Like, par for the course. It's exactly what I was expecting. Thanks so much, Michael. But... These rules actually are the beginning of something new. You've got, you've got a group of people that like, had no organization, they had no government, they had nothing, and God says, I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to make a country out of you. I'm going to take these 12 families that have gone together, that have been through a lot, and now they've been delivered from a lot. And now they're just kind of on, like they're on to whatever's next and they don't know what's next. I'm going to do something great with them. And so I need to begin to organize them. And he actually started that in 18. We didn't read it, but he sets up elders and he doesn't do anything until he sets up leadership. But once he sets up leadership, he says, now you have some leadership. You've got people. I'm going to take you to a land and you need some government. Here's a constitution. And their constitution begins with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The preamble to their constitution is the Ten Commandments. It's the beginning of something new for them. And my background studying government really makes me want to get into the nitty-gritty details of this, but let me just suffice it to say that their constitution is not ours, and ours is not theirs. And we err on the side, and we err, we make error when we say that our constitution is inspired scripture. And we err when we say that everything that God gave them as a constitution is something that must be applied to us as Gentiles. There's more nuance to it than that. 
And I'd encourage you, if that's a new thought for you, to continue to seek God and what it is that he wants for us. It sounds like rules. It is rules. But it's based upon this relationship that he's doing. Adam messed it up. He starts over with Noah and his family. He starts over with Abram. I want to walk with you. Can I walk with you? Can I deliver you out of the slavery that you've been in? And can I walk? Will you walk with me? I want for us to be together. And I just ask, are we content with our picture of God? Like, when we think about what God is, are we like, yeah, I, I, I kind of get it. Like, it's fine. I've got some questions, but they're really not that important. I don't really need to dig into it at all. Because the guy at the back of the crowd might have been content with his picture of God. I don't know who he's talking to, but Moses is getting something, and it turns out good for me. So I'm going to keep walking with Mo, and that'll be all right. But what happens when God speaks directly to the guy at the back of the audience? Look at, the, look at how the Ten Commandments end. I feel like, I feel like this is good to remember. Exodus 20, verse 18. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, and that you may not sin. And the people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. They said, Look, Mo, like, we're good with following you. Like, we kind of like the way you talk. You go talk to God, and like, don't let him talk to us anymore. We had enough. Like, I'm content with my picture of everything that I know about God. We all have gaps in our understanding. And the question is, are we going to be content with keeping God in the box that we can kind of grasp? Or are we going to push in to discover more of who he is? Because it isn't about the rules that he's setting up. It's about, I want to walk with you. Will you walk with me? Do our gaps in understanding make us complacent? Say, yeah, I'm good enough. Or they make us hungry. There's a couple more chapters of laws, which I know you guys really want to dig into. I just want to jump to chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24. It's on page 81 in the Blue Bible. God's stories are about rebuilding living relationships. Well, you kind of said that, Michael, but not. It's kind of a stretch. Exodus 24. I'm going to start in verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And we've had a couple of chapters of rules since we got the Ten Commandments, just to let you know. 
All, all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes, the twelve families of this nation of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings to the oxen of the Lord, peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in the basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and 70 elders of Israel went up. And they saw the God of Israel. It was under his feet as it were a pavement of sapphire stone like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God, and he went to the elders. Or, and he said to the elders, Wait for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let them go to him. <clears throat> So they go up to the mountain, Moses and the elders and Joshua and the priests. That's who those people are. And they get a glimpse of God. All this preparation, all this fear, all this lightning and fire. And when they see God, they behold him on the mountain in his glory. Verse 9. They ate and drank. It's kind of strange to hold a banquet on a mountain. <laughs> kind of strange to have an idea of holding a banquet in the presence of God. Like all the songs we sing are about bowing and about and about singing and 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 here they behold God and they have a meal. But we celebrate when God communicates to us. They've had a whole bunch of communication. The most communication direct from God they've ever had before. And they go to him and they celebrate. When, when we feel like God's talking to us, do we just kind of be like, oh man, would you just leave me alone? Do we just kind of keep it to ourselves? Like in our, will we celebrate when God communicates with us? When they're face to face with their maker, having been prepared and having heard from him, they have a feast. So will we prepare? Will we listen well? Will we celebrate? So here we have the covenant, the promise, the pledge. Remember, this is something that has occurred on every one of these stories that we've talked about so far with Noah and with Abraham and now with Moses. There's a covenant here. 
And there's three things that a covenant needs. It needs parties, it needs a sign of the covenant, a signature, and it needs terms. So the parties are Yahweh and Israel. Well, what is Israel? Israel is the descendants of Jacob's 12 sons. Well, who is Jacob? Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Those 12 sons have families. Those 12 families stick together through slavery and now have been delivered. And God says, I'm going to make a covenant with y'all. With Noah, he makes a covenant with all of creation. Then with Eber's descendant, Abraham. And now with Abraham's descendants through Jacob, the nation of Israel. Those are the parties. What's the sign? Well, you've got blood. And did you notice that the blood is split in half? It takes half of, the, half of the blood and puts it in one place, and half of the blood he puts in another place. Remember when he cut a covenant, when Abraham cut a covenant, he cut the animals in half and walked between them, and God made it. And here, it's not God that's taking the pledge, it's the people, because the terms are different. Follow me, walk with me, follow my laws and my commandments that I've given you. He just gave them several chapters of commandments. Y'all do that and walk with me. And he gives another sign. He gives these tablets. And I just want to say, too, since we're talking about the Ten Commandments, because it's usually on tablets, right? And remember, they're Roman numerals, one through six, and uh, whatever the rest of the numbers are. Y'all know I don't do math real good. Seven through ten. No, it's one through four and six through ten. That's how they, they get up. Like, they get two tablets, right? And they get split in half, okay? So that's how we picture it. One, I don't know how these Hebrews had a Roman numeral system. Like, the Roman numeral system was decades afterwards. Like, that's crazy to me. The other thing is I don't think they're split in half. See, God makes this covenant. He makes this promise. He gives them this constitution, and he makes a copy. He, he writes it out with his own finger on stone. He says, here's a tablet of stone with everything that I've told you, with all the things I've communicated to you. He writes with his own finger. God gives them the tablets of stone. He makes a copy of it. He does it twice. And he says, you can keep my copy. I won't need it. I can remember. I can keep my end of this. You hold on to my copy. God's stories are about rebuilding living relationships. This is a strange to me. It is strange to me to approach this story as somebody who's not an Israelite, as somebody who doesn't have a Jewish background. There's something special that God's doing in establishing a nation here, establishing a nation from a single family, which is really unusual. But through that family, he's going to bless the world. Through that nation, he's going to bless the world. All of these things are pointing towards Jesus. Spoiler alert. But God's story is about rebuilding living relationships. Stuff has been broken from the beginning. And God keeps coming to people saying, will you walk with me? Everyone else is walking away, but will you walk with me? Love me. Sure, God, I, I love you. You're a little bit scared. You're scaring me right now <laughs> with, the, with the fire in the mountain. Like, yeah, sure, I love you. <clears throat> no, no, no. I mean, I mean, love me. Like, have no other gods before me. 
Don't, don't make a carved image because that will just confuse you about the kind of, kind of God I am. Don't, don't get confused about the character that I have. Don't use my name lightly. Don't like swear an oath by me and then walk away from it. Like that's, that's not the kind of God that I am. Like represent my character well. Remember the Sabbath day because I, I have infinite resources and I have infinite power of, of energy and yet I still rested on the seventh day. Not because I needed a rest, but because you need a rest. Take a break. Love me and love your neighbor. Well, yeah, God, my neighbor's cool, I guess. Do you honor your mom and dad? Don't murder. Don't, don't murder. Don't hold this anger against your brother in your heart. It, it, will, it will poison both of you. Don't commit adultery. Don't, don't steal from your brother. Like these things, like love your neighbor. Don't lie. Don't have your eyes so fixed on what your neighbor has. Don't have your eyes so fixed on your neighbor's blessings that you miss what I am doing in you. I want to walk with you. Love me. Love your neighbor. Because the stories I'm telling are about rebuilding living relationships. Would you pray with me? God, we need you. On the surface, it seems like we could probably handle these things pretty good, I guess. I haven't really bludgeoned anyone to death lately. But God, you see the anger in my heart. You know the frustration. so clear that I don't love my neighbor well. And God, that heart condition, which was, has always been offensive to you, is also an indicator that I don't love you well either. That I could hold that anger against one created in your image. God, we need you. And we thank you that you saw our need before we did and that you have stepped in and sent your son to cover us with your grace. Rather than trying to buckle up my bootstraps and try harder, Lord, would you help me to walk with the one who has finished it? I pray these things for myself. I pray then for us as your church. It's in your name we ask. Amen.